with introspection on America and seeds planted in my heart and mind to engage more in society, I think the desert's meaning in my life evolved yet again. I still needed it, now more than ever. The past is so complicated, yet the present moment in nature can be so distilling, so pure. That's why we go out there to be in the moment, in a society that seems to be looking forward so quickly into a screen. Welcome to episode 11 of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. We are wrapping up the desert. This is going to be the second to last episode. Episode 12 will be the last one in this series. These last two chapters kind of go down in the late 2016, early 2017 era. I had just met the woman who was going to become my fiance, Amber, and then it was also a time period of... Uh, political turbulence, as we might say, with Trump coming in and um, taking away the protections for Bears Ears National Monument, where Indian Creek is located and where most, most of this book takes place. And I was pretty fired up about that and then many other issues. And I tried to channel it all into writing and really write out my feelings about the situation and um, just really raw, honest writing. And, and I think I did it well. And that's what the this episode is today. If you're enjoying this and you want to support the podcast, please pick up something in our online store. Subscribe to The Climbing Zine. That's always the number one thing I tell people to do. It doesn't cost much money and it also builds up our numbers when we're talking to our sponsors. As anyone knows, a podcast, print publications, they all take um, financial backing. And so if you throw a little dough our way, shows the love and it keeps this dream going. All right, let's get into episode 11. The day Trump got elected was one of the saddest days in my adult life. To put it simply, I hated him. I hated everything that he represented. I hated after such a thoughtful man was president, such an inconsiderate con man would be the leader of the free world. I was angry and sad and didn't know where to channel that anger just yet. All I had was hip-hop music. I knew Trump's election would change me, more than Obama's even. But I didn't yet know why or how. I just knew I was fired up and ready to fight for what I believed in. A few weeks into this, I got a friend request on Facebook from a familiar face. And although it took me a minute to place it, I'd seen her around town mostly when she was in scrubs, obviously post-shift on some sort of medical facility, and it was in my work uniform at the restaurant, t-shirt, apron, and ball cap. Given that she was a beautiful woman, I didn't hesitate to send her a message, an almost knee-jerk reaction to receiving a ping. How do we know each other? I rhetorically asked, and maybe we should get a cup of coffee together sometime. We went back and forth and agreed to meet up at a local coffee shop the next day. I don't actually drink coffee, was one of the first things I said to Amber. She did, but we both got tea anyways, and went through the motions of asking about one another's lives. We both thought the other was younger. Turns out we were both the same age, 38. She was the oldest of seven. We both disliked Trump. Dating in the modern age, you gotta get these things clarified. She was a nurse who taught yoga. 
I do yoga, I said. I love yoga. I do. She did look younger than her years. A brown-skinned beauty, born to parents who got married young, and thank God, had her. There was a gray hair or two in her beautiful black hair, but I didn't notice. I'm getting braces in a few days, I told her. I was scheduled to become a full metal mouth for the next couple of years. I was embarrassed and imagined going out on dates with braces, getting spinach stuck in my teeth. It didn't seem like that would be sexy or attractive. Maybe I'd write a blog about dating with braces at 38, I thought. Our date went so well, I wrote out a too soon poem. But in the wisdom of my years expressing emotions too quickly, I kept it tucked away. For future sharing, if things went well, I called it 38. Since I am a hopeless, or hopeful, romantic climber type, my mind was always drawn to the anything is possible ethos. That belief led me to the best and worst moments of my life, the highs of climbing and the lows of unrequited love. It led me to falling in love. And here I put love in quotation marks, because the more I learn about love, the more I question if I ever knew love. Climbing had guided most of my life philosophies in an unconscious way. I did believe anything was possible, that adventures can go all the way to the moon, and they can. But I was a hopeless romantic for sure, who had been fumbling along in love for many years. Climbing also teaches you to be persistent, which works for a rock, but not so much for a failing relationship. That said, I don't think anyone should ever, ever, forever, ever give up on finding love. This episode is sponsored by Osprey. Osprey and the climbing zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home with Osprey here in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado. And to find out more, visit osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Black Diamond. Another longtime sponsor of the climbing zine, Black Diamond is all about climbing, skiing, and mountains. And, of course, the desert. Black Diamond camelots are an essential ingredient for heading up any splitter. From the new 7 and 8 C4s to the new Z4s, you can never have too many camelots in the creek. But once your Creek 50 backpack fills up, might as well hand the rest of the rack to your buddy to carry up. To find out more, visit blackdiamondequipment.com. I always thought that love stories had to be epic. And because I was a climber, mine should be epic. But sometimes love is just a cup of coffee, or in my case, a cup of tea away. I managed not to exude my too soon poetry vibe too heavily with Amber. On our second date, I went to her Friday night candlelight yoga class, and then we made dinner. Over beers, we played Scrabble. Two games of it, in fact. 
Ah, the things one does on early dates when you're waiting to decide if you feel some magic. The first word I used, love. I shit you not. Not a lot of points of Scrabble, but a sign of things to come. And yeah, there was magic. Amber and I fell in love in the winter, usually the season where I'm not doing much except writing and getting out in short windows of sunshine. This winter had snow. They don't always these days in the Southwest. She told me she didn't really care to ski or snowboard much anymore in the winter and just liked to read and chill instead. I love that a lot. We tromp around in the snow on runs. We both love to run, but not too much, a healthy amount. We made pies and made love, and then we ate pie. She is a nurse and went to Haiti to volunteer just a few weeks into our relationship. I admired that. Her heart was enormous, and she was the yin to my yang, or vice versa. I never remember. It was just perfect the way we got along. It didn't feel desperate or forced or just for the reasons of sexual gratification. She was in Haiti when Trump was sworn in. I went to the women's march here in Durango and marched in a foot of snow. I missed her terribly for the couple of weeks she was gone, but when she returned, we picked up where we'd left off, like one does with a great book. Of course, once things thawed out, we went to the desert. She had climbed years ago, and she still had her original chalk bag, climbing shoes and harness that sat unused for 15 years. She still even had saved her chalk. I teased her about it. The chalk had lost some of its consistency, and didn't seem like chalk, but rather just a white powder that didn't stick much to your hands. So yeah, we climbed together, and later I tried to keep up with her on mountain bike rides. It was a perfect combination. I took her way out to this little campsite I like, way down a dirt road, far away from any people, and showed her this heart rock I'd placed on the tree the previous fall. She was obsessed with heart rocks and collected them enthusiastically. That's where I told her I loved her for the first time. She told me she loved me too. It didn't take long for Trump to come along and propose the shrinkage of Bears Ears. He even visited Utah the occasion. The narrative he delivered was that he was there to deliver the message that the time for federal government overreach was over. Yes, Obama wanted to tell the residents how their backyard public lands would be managed, and Trump was here to say no, that's not how it's going to be anymore. The real irony of this is that this land is sacred to several Native American tribes, and the conservation and preservation efforts were all made by working with the Bears Ears Inner Tribal Council. And these were the original inhabitants of the land. If anything, it was their land that was being taken away, again, by overreach of the federal government. I was grateful for Amber's love, because the anger I felt was astronomical. I was thinking crazy, and just might have done something crazy if it wasn't for her. Was it so bad to be angry, or was this completely justified? Was I merely feeling a small percentage of the anger that the long-oppressed populations of the land of the free and the home of the brave had for centuries. I think I was. With introspection on America and seeds planted in my heart and mind to engage more in society, I think the desert's meaning in my life evolved yet again. I still needed it, now more than ever. The past is so complicated, yet the present moment in nature can be so distilling, so pure. That's why we go there to be in the moment, in a society that seems to be looking forward so quickly into a screen. And so am I. And so I want to get away from it and be grounded. And the only way I can get away is to go where those screens don't work, where they aren't fueled by their almighty cell phone service and internet connection. The desert 
told Western America's story as well as I'd ever heard it told. And it showed us what life is like and could be like. The land I love so much that we call Indian Creek had a heyday a thousand some years ago. And the original inhabitants, the ancestral Puebloans, left remains in art that still tell a story. They had no written language, but the book can be read by exploring with the right state of mind and heart. Their ancestors are still alive today as well and tell the stories too. One day in the early spring, I finally got out of my usual routine and Amber and I visited the actual Bears Ears area and hiked around some canyons with obvious ruins and artifacts from so long ago. As we climbed my truck up to a campsite below the Bears Ears sandstone formations, the view below was one of those views that made me think, yes, this land should be protected and preserved. For the view, even, not to mention the million other reasons and the importance of this land to the many Native American tribes. That same trip, I was scheduled to give a presentation in Salt Lake City, up at the Alta Ski Resort. I told my story, what I know, the only story I really have, the story of climbing as a transformational vehicle, the kind of thing that saves lives, and if it doesn't save it, it will change it. I showed photos of my adventures in the desert, and I showed the short film I'd made out there. Afterwards, the Q&A became all about Bears Ears, with audience members who were active advocates for the monument answering some of the questions I didn't know the answers to. In the aftermath of Trump being elected, I, like so many other Americans, had to soul search, to wonder where we went from here. I posed that question to many who are more involved in civics than I am, from a state senator to the director of the Access Fund. And nearly everyone told me my greatest power was the power of the pen. It's both humbling and sometimes frustrating to write things that affect people's lives. It makes me feel small, but important. Not important with a capital I, with a lowercase I. And it's important to know where one stands in life and what their role is in society. My role was minor, but it was a key in the music that is life. On the way home, we needed exercise and craved a little more Red Rock scenery. Amber had never seen Castle Valley up close, so we decided to take a little run hike up there. I'd been there many times, and on the way up the trail, I had the thought that you never really know what will happen in the desert, particularly up there. We hiked and ran and felt that feeling of the desert, which is much better than sitting in a car all day. A light breeze picked up. The sky was a familiar, bright azure, the towers standing in a stark and obviously beautiful contrast. We reached the high point for our day, the base of the Castleton Tower, and stood there with the necks of climbers bent, looking up the small humans on a big tower. On the hike down, carefully inching down the trail of ball-bearing-like steps, we noticed a climber lying down on the ground, surrounded by several other people. Do you need any help? I instinctively asked. Since Amber was a nurse, we went over to see how we could help. The guy had successfully climbed and repelled the tower, but then fell some 30 feet while scrambling down. He'd severely bitten his tongue, broken his ankle, and hit his back. Luckily, he was wearing a helmet and appeared it would have been worse if he wasn't wearing it. Several other people there had some wilderness rescue training, and we left after briefly helping out. We were in t-shirts and shorts and started to get cold in the late afternoon, very early spring air. We heard a helicopter overhead. The wind seemed to get in the way of the landing as we watched it circle. As it did, 
I was reminded of some words from Ed Abbey, words that I'd read nearly 20 years ago before all of these adventures. When the traces of blood begin to mark your trail, you'll see something, maybe. was episode 11 of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. You know, I really did soul search during that time period. I did come to the conclusion we all have our life's work that can hopefully make a small difference in the world. I think when you actually want to make a difference, you realize how small we are all individually, and it's the collective consciousness that really makes change. And I've decided to pour everything into writing and realize that's how I give back. That's how I contribute um, to the environmental causes, the public lands causes, and just speaking my truth and encouraging others to do the same. Who knows who I will inspire? Um, Maybe someone who will make big decisions on these public lands in the future, or maybe it'll just be another writer um, that I inspire but I'm going all in on my career and my life's work, and I'm going to keep doing that to the bitter end. Music for this episode comes from Devin Dabney. Devin is a senior contributor to the zine, and he's written some great essays. Most recently, Get Sends or Die Trying in volume 20 of the zine about the intersection of hip-hop and climbing. He's a great writer. He's a rapper, musician, root setter, renaissance man does a lot of things check him out on instagram deuces hip-hop and he's on some of the other music streaming platforms as well like spotify and bandcamp chad rich is our digital editor and producer big shout out to chad for finishing up grad school over in ohio and he's back in colorado working at my personal alma mater western colorado university he's working as their videographer If you see any video content coming out of Western, that's from Chad. Western is one of the coolest schools around. Completely changed my life. Great institution. And super psyched to have Chad back in Colorado. Signing off for the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast, I am Luke Mihal, coming at you from beautiful Durango, Colorado. Peace. Peace.